Welcome to The Bridge, a resource designed to empower families with tools and insights into timely topics in the lives of school-aged children. And now, with more than 20 years experience in private and public education, here's your host, Devin Kleffer. Well, good afternoon and welcome to The Bridge. I'm your host, Devin Kleffer, and joining me on this episode of The Bridge is Erin Tor, who is a licensed marriage family therapist, our on-site full-time mental health counselor. Erin, you bring so much to this learning environment, and you are such a respite for not only the students that are here, but also the faculty and the staff that are on this campus. So thank you, first and foremost, for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Bridge. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Listen, before we get too far into this, um, I'd love to know, can you just give us and our listeners a little bit of a window of insight into what, what is your role here and what does that look like on, on any given day? And I know it changes from day to day, but what does that look like? Basically, I'm here to, I like to say I'm here to smooth and to soothe, right? So any bump that any student or adult on campus is experiencing that interferes with being able to go through the day and go through classes in a normal fashion Mm. and be present. Mm. So if something is interruptive and causing a student distress to the degree that it's interfering with their academics, it's interfering with their relationships, or just even their own ability to be present or, or feel well, then I'm here for that. They can come drop in and say like, whoa, I'm having a meltdown, or I'm so stressed out, or I just got in a fight with my best friend, and I just don't even know how to handle it. Mm. I want to leave class. So anything that is causing distress or um, an inability to just get through the day in a normal fashion that I'm here for that. That's kind of a daily way. And then over kind of the long term, kids that are experiencing mental health issues, depression, anxiety, OCD, um, something that they're fearful about or um, a difficult response to family divorce, grief and loss in the family, which can be really common during the teen years, Um, anything like that where I can help the family manage um, the different stressors and mm. difficulties that are happening within the student or within the family system, um, then I do more of a long-term care if need be. I, this is wonderful for so many reasons. And out of the gate, let me just say, I think one of the things that you've done such a great job with in your time here is really demystifying mental health. And there is no stigma to having to come and see you, whether it's by a student or by a faculty member or a staff member. And I think that that in and of itself is is huge. So thank you for blessing this community by just having your door and your heart always open to be a listening ear. You know, one of the things that as we're sitting down to record this, it's the first full week with students. We're transitioning back to um, school full time, which is exciting. We've got a campus full of kids here, which brings so much uh, noise and 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 seeing things. And, and it's great because it seems like it's been a very long time since we've had that. At the same time, we have all been through tremendous amounts of transitions over the past 18 months. And I think that's fair to say that we're probably going to have some more transitions as we go along in the next six to 12 months as well. So as we're just jumping back into school, um, I'm not only a teacher, but also a parent. And and so I guess the first question this afternoon, Aaron, is how can we really, I guess, 
understand that the transition is something that can be handled different by everybody. There's not a right or a wrong way to handle it. And also, I think, what are some tips for us, both as family members or as young adults who are here as students, to really navigate these waters during this transition of coming back to school, but still under not the most desirable circumstances? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, we're all grappling with it. Yes. I think that everywhere you turn, there's some type of post on social media or some type of article (laughs) that we're linked to that addresses the issue of, hey, are you feeling weird being back in contact with other human beings? And the mask debates, the political backdrop that we're all living under and within, there are so many issues and so much pressure Mm. and such a highlight on how will we ever go back to normal and what is normal and will it ever feel normal ever again? And so with that being the backdrop, I think that as adults, we need to both appreciate and uh, understand our own position Mm. and really give thought to that so that as we approach our children and our teens, we're recognizing that they have a different experience than we have, but equally stressful or even more so, right? They have not lived long enough to have a context to put this in. They can't say, well, in our last pandemic, you know, we grew in this way. There's there's no other pandemic. It's kind of like those people that lived in in this area, in the Bay Area, now I'm dating myself, but in 1989, (laughs) we went through a massive earthquake. And for those of us who went through that, there was a reference to that for Mm. like 20 years. You keep referencing the earthquake. And it really did rock our worlds, literally and figuratively. So if you look at something like this, we've never walked through this before as adults, Mm. but we have references at least to other trauma to other world events that have really shaken us up, to other things that have been distressing that we've had to overcome, but our kids really haven't. Mm -hmm. And all the things that make teen life somewhat normal, even though teen life is always hard, right? It's always hard. It has fun too, but it's always challenging for teenagers. And the things that we look to to keep it normal for them are their sports, Mm -hmm. their school routine, um, the different markers throughout the year that kind of um, prepare them for the next semester, the next year, the next phase of life, you know, all the different activities and things that they rally around and get excited about. All of that was stripped away. Right. So if you think about it from that perspective, it gives you empathy for one, and it gives you a very vital perspective that you must keep in mind as you parent these teens and tweens that are going through something that has has shaken them deeply. Right. And it's changed who they are and how they think about the world and how they think about adults. And so we must condition our own perspective to meet them in that place and recognize that even though we're all in it together, they are experiencing it differently than we are. And they need us to see them that way. We might not even be able to help them navigate it that well because yeah. it's a different experience, yes. Yes. but we can certainly have empathy right. and help them get what they need to navigate it. Let me ask this because one of the things you and I grew up in, in the same generation and you know, one of the things that was not part of my regular daily life, especially in school or in athletics through school was kind of an acknowledgement that like mental health is not only a quote unquote real thing, but it's an important thing. Do you think that we can come to a spot right now and, and say that generally speaking, we all recognize that 
mental health and, and the crises that come out of that are, are very real. We no longer need to fake it and pretend that we just need to suck it up and move on. Definitely. I mean, I think that'll be one of the most important things that comes out of this. I think it was already making its way into a more regular, mm. highlighted, um, you know, just it was being becoming more regular to yeah. speak about yeah. in light of many suicides of famous people over the last five years. Right. There was just kind of a, a boom, 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 you know, where right. we were all grappling with, wow, he too just took his life. Oh no, right. another one. Oh no, another one. And so I think that brought suicide specifically into the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as a, a, a side note here, a very important side note, suicide has moved into the second leading cause of death position wow. for young people. Wow. And they've expanded the age category to 10, 10 years old to 24 years old. Wow. And and that's alarming. It's it called, is. You know, it's only second to car crashes. And we know that that's, you know, a huge epidemic for young people. So it's alarming, it's sobering, and it makes us realize that mental health is this critical issue. And yet, you know, I think what we will also experience, and I may get some pushback for this, but I think we will also experience that the pendulum will swing almost too far, Mm. you know, as it comes to be more um, common to discuss and more uh, less stigma around it. It will also almost take like too big of a place and that everything is blamed in that direction. I mean, we're seeing such a rush on therapists right now. You can't even get appointments very well. Mm. And while I think that's excellent that people are paying attention, I also think we're having a different crisis where teens and tweens are so consumed with thinking and talking about their mental health Mm. that they see everything as a mental health issue and a problem. And then so often because families aren't the greatest at dealing with it or knowing how to deal with it, or perhaps they don't have the larger um, extended family support that we had in other eras, we rush to a doctor mm. and doctors rush to prescribe medication. Right, right. So I think that will be the negative is that a lot of kids are getting medicated yeah. rather than doing what we know works for mental health, which is exercise, adequate sleep, good right. nutrition, and plenty of, you know, um, fun, <laughs> Right? dare truly. I say, we yeah, just truly. need to play together right. and recreate and right. refresh ourselves. Yeah. And so, so many things can be addressed and solved with very simple interventions, but families seem stressed in a way that is pretty extreme these days that almost those basic things aren't even remembered and you're just rushing to a doctor and then getting a prescription. Right, right. Well, and and I'll go on record as saying, you know, uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy has been huge in my own life. And I know that that's not the, the crux of our discussion today. So perhaps we'll come back to that in a future episodes, but families listening to this, feel free to do a little bit of research about that and see those tools that are available that can either reduce the amount of prescriptions that you or your kiddos might be on, or, or in some cases uh, avoid it entirely, which is I think I, ideal. Aaron, let's transition a little bit. I want to talk first from the lens of our students. So anywhere from that sixth sixth grade to 12th grade student, um, what are some ways that students within that age range may better transition back to what we're experiencing now in school? So it's not quite like life as we knew it, but it's as close as we've been in a very long time. 
but it can also be kind of scary because we haven't done it in a while. So what are some ways that those tweens, those teens, those young adults can really make this transition as fruitful and easy as possible? I mean, I think we're trying very hard here at Montevista, and I think we're doing a really good job in so many ways um, trying to make it fun, trying to be innovative and have just new systems, new Mm -hmm. ways that people are connecting. I think we're trying to meet them where they are and get things back online quickly, right? Get sports up and going and like, you know, have things to celebrate. And even where we have limitations and have to have safety precautions, we're trying. I mean, we, we put on theatrical theatrical productions last year that were wonderful. And we did that within our limitations, but we still did it. Right. And so I think we're doing a good job. I think where kids are somewhat struggling and not everyone is, but some kids really feel like they lost vital developmental progress that they had made socially. It's like, they feel like they're back to being an awkward middle schooler, even if they're in high school. <laughs> right, and right. so a lot of kids have just ad- admitted, you know, I just feel weird. I, or my friend group has totally shifted in this time and I'm not really sure who my friends are uh, right now, or things went badly online, mm, you know, during the pandemic, everyone right. was on their phones 24 seven and right. a lot of stuff went down. Let's face it. Yes. Kids bully each other. Kids, you know, quote, break up with each other, both in friendships and romantic relationships a lot in those ways. And other, you know, some kids had more freedom than others and there was jealousy or family comparison. So there were very real challenges that these guys navigated and there's no doubt about it. I mean, I know my son had only one week of really being shut off and being confined to the home because he's a surfer and the beach is closed for one week during the pandemic. And he said afterwards, whoa, if I had that much longer, I would have gone crazy. And I yeah, said, I, believe it. I said, son, picture, you know, baseball players, football players, right. soccer players, cheerleaders, right. all these people whose sport is canceled. Right. Like you're so lucky you can keep surfing, but not everyone is even getting to do the thing that they love to do. And as a result, we saw and are seeing a lot of depression because kids' passions were literally stopped in their tracks. And right. that, that's not a good thing for that age at all. For sure. And so what are some tools that we might even be able to give some of our younger listeners as, as they come back into this and, and kind of hit the reboot button? What are some things that they can do to realize, I guess, one, they're not alone, uh, two, what they are experiencing is very real. It's not something that is making up or unique to them. What are some things that they could do to kind of keep things moving in a positive direction? I mean, I think we want to encourage them. Like you said, we want to validate their experience. Mm -hmm. Like this is real. This is really hard. We see you. We feel it. We love you. So we want to bring a tremendous amount of validation. The same time, we want to challenge them and say like, take a risk, mm. be someone that's willing to walk up to a group and say, how awkward is this? You know, <laughs> it's good to see you guys, but I've lost all my social skills. Yes, so right, bear with truly, me, yes. you know, so being willing to be the one to call it out and say like, did you almost get used to the masks and now we feel panicked without them? You know, did you get acne with your mask? It really sucks. Or now you see my teeth for the first time in a year and a half, you know, or just being able to have a sense of humor, but also take risks and be willing to tell how you're doing. The other thing that I really encouraged parents to do during the pandemic, especially, but 
now even you know more so continuing it is find ways to to light up your kid's brain mm. without it being lit up only by their phone getting yes. you know dopamine squirts yes. every time they get a, a response a like right. or a text right let them get lit up by jumping off things riding motorcycles yes. dyeing their hair taking them on cool little trips go camp out somewhere for an overnight don't make things such a big deal mm. like you know don't make it so hard to have a thrill make it easy yeah. to have some thrill and some uh, adrenaline healthy adrenaline right right because teens are adrenaline junkies anyway and if they're too depressed or clamped down they're going to do risky things that we don't want them doing right so find things that are slightly risky <laughs> and let them do them you know challenge your team yeah. to like hey let's figure out something that you would like to do and let's save for it and let's go for it you know get yes. your scuba license get your um you know maybe get a motorcycle if you you know right. a lot of parents are going to give me flack but <laughs> but let's face it we got to do more stuff when we were younger. Yeah. There was just less, you know, legislation about everything. Right. And kids need healthy ways to feel a sense of awesomeness and risk and overcoming fears yeah. and having good adrenaline moments. That's part of being a teenager. And so, yes. and that's one of the many ways to help get kids out of depression, get them in nature, get them thinking outside their bedroom. Mm -hmm which they've spent a lot of time in, get them making other types of connections in their life, you know, figure out ways to get your kid out fishing or um, hiking, taking a backpack trip, getting a mountain bike, yeah. just things that are outside their box or outside their world and help their brain light up again and feel joy. Well, and I think there's so many great examples. And, and I think, you know, what's great about that, Aaron, is that's not just specific to the circumstances we're dealing with. Like that, that's in the quote unquote normal healthy times where we're not having to worry about social distancing and masks and all that stuff. But really, you've laid out the recipe for kind of that successful family relationship between parents and kids. I also love what you brought up when it came to, I, I think, just kids on campus just kind of owning the awkwardness of the situation mm -hmm. and not backing away from that. I, I I, think that that's actually kind of genius that people can go in or kids can go in and, and just kind of break the ice because I think we're all feeling it, adults included, when it comes to that. I, I'd love to know, you know, we've got some great insights as far as ideas for making the transition easier. How do we, as parents, how do we handle when we suspect that things may not be going as easy as we want it to or need it to for our kids? And, and granted, that's a very subjective scale. But if we continue to see um, what we might perceive as warning signs, I guess, what, first off, are some warning signs that we should look for? And two, how do we respond to some of those warning signs that we may see our kids start to fall into? Yeah, that's a great question. It's complicated. So I'll try and do my best to answer it. I think with depression specifically, one of the things I'll highlight that parents often don't know, and even just teachers and faculty don't often know, is that with teen depression, what sets it apart from normal depression that we would see in an adult is teens, when they're depressed, often have an added component that is that looks like chronic irritation and mm. aggression and kind of unwarranted anger. Yeah. It just comes out of nowhere. Right. So if you have a teen at home who seems extra eggy, <laughs> right, to use one of their terms, yes. um, who's just... <laughs> 
like popping off at siblings or reacting in really over the top ways or just seems chronically irritable, Mm -hmm. that can be an insight that you might have is like, whoa, I wonder if I'm dealing with depression here in my teen. Okay. So if nothing pleases them and they just seem chronically irritated, irritable, and angry about things that don't really add up, that's a good place to start. And what I like to say is... As a parent of a teen, one of the biggest words I want you to get and concepts is you need to learn the art of subtlety, mm. right? Teens, <laughs> teens are irritated with our yes. voices. Yes. They are irritated with our over-talking. They're irritated with our little idiosyncrasies and habits. Right. And so it's easy for them to write us off, push us away, not want to open up. Um, and we kind of keep signing up for more of that rejection yes, because yes. we interfere in ways that really bug them. So if you can switch it up, even if you just Google how to be a better parent to a teen, you will find articles and it will talk about these very things, how to listen well yes. without interrupting, how to really listen. It's one of the hardest things you can do is listen to a teen. And that's why I think kids like to come talk to me, not because I'm so great, but because I'm paid to listen. That's right. my job. Right. And when we are heard, we calm down and we feel better. And so as a parent, the number one thing you can do for your teenager is become a better listener. And then the other areas are, you know, looking for ways to provide an environment that is less stressful to them, Yes. which means owning your own stuff. Okay. So if you are an angry type of a parent, if you're a yeller, if you are negative, if you're kind of a a gossip parent, if you're, uh, um, um, you know, you're constantly meddling, if you micromanage, if you lecture, all those things are not going to work well. Okay. I can give that (laughs) list again, but I think those of you who, you know, recognize yourselves, it's like, Oh no, (laughs) you know, we all have to constantly examine ourselves. I mean, here I'm a paid listener. And one night my, my son was really opening up to me and my husband, one of those conversations where they kind of follow you around the house. And eventually he even followed us into our room and then sat on the end of our bed. It's midnight. He's still wanting to talk. And those golden moments where a teen is open, but I have a conversational style that when I'm listening to my own kids, I interject a lot because Mm. I'm thinking we're having a great back and forth. And he finally said, mom, like, I know you're a counselor, but right now the way you're listening is totally shutting me down. And good insight. And he said, dad's doing a better job. (laughs) And I tried, you know, I just had to suck it up and not be offended, not defend myself. It's like, whoa, he just gave me a huge insight that when I do what I think is being a great engaged listener, he's saying it's bugging him, it's shutting him down. So ask your kids when they're opening up to you or they hover in the kitchen longer or they come in the bathroom when you're doing your makeup, mom, or, you know, dad, when you're driving them to, mm-hmm. to sports practice or taking them to the DMV or wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, if you notice your teen is hovering and opening up in little ways, even if they're saying like really negative things like, oh, I hate my bio teacher. I hate that class. <laughs> Not that they're saying that, right? right we love right. our new bio yes, teacher. Yes. But when they just complain and it seems like nothing but negative, mm. stay calm and quiet longer than you want to. Don't say, oh, that's ridiculous, or oh, so negative. Just wait a beat, right? I call it waiting a beat. Just wait longer and see what else comes. They're opening up, wait for for the more, you know, for the revelations, and just stay calmer and quieter longer. They will open up more, actually. 
It's counterintuitive, but it works. <laughs> it and truly teens is. Yeah. really appreciate it. So often they go through their whole day not really feeling heard. Right. Other teens aren't very good listeners. They, right. you know, you start telling them how you feel and they say, Oh, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> well, that's not the best listening. Yes. You know, it might feel somewhat validating, but really it just feels like, oh, right. now now the focus is on yes. you. Shifting the spotlight. Yes. yes. So I hope that's, you know, somewhat clear. I know I said a lot, but Tuning in, recognizing if there's chronic irritability, tuning in when they start to talk about things, even if it seems negative, wait longer to respond and ask the golden question, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying. Is this a time where I can just listen or do you want some feedback? Yeah. And ask that. It's hugely respectful. Right. And teens need to be respected. You yeah. know, we're always in the in the position of demanding that they respect us. Right. But one of the ways to have your teen respect you is to treat him and her respectfully yes. and to value what they say, even if it doesn't match up with your values. Right. They are emerging young adults. Right. And so one of the ways we show them respect is to value their thoughts and their ideas. Yes. Even if it's like really troubling at times, just hearing them helps them hear themselves and they will adjust and self-correct. Yes. We do not need to correct every single thing that comes out of their mouth. And if we do, you will not have your teen open up to you much longer. It, it's very true. And I would just say also, you know, parents, as, as you're listening to this and wondering like, well, well, how do I become a better listener? Or how do I, how do I put some of these uh, tools into practice? I, I can say through, although I'm not a licensed therapist like Aaron is, I've done my share of counseling with young adults. And I think a couple of the things, and Aaron, feel free to jump in here and push back on this, but a couple of things that I've noticed, especially with teenagers, you, you always make eye contact, even even like if they're not wanting to make eye contact with you, right? And then there's also kind of, I, I don't want to say it's a trick by any stretch of the imagination. It's a communication style, but that's kind of this, you mentioned going with a, a drive with dad, and that's this kind of this parallel when we're not face-to-face, but we can have conversations when we're both next to each other looking the same way, whether it's a drive or a walk or whatever else. And for whatever reason, my own experience as both a former teen, a recovering teen, <laughs> and and a parent is those are the times when the conversation has really gotten to the level where I could really start to get the information that I was after. That's right. as as a parent, and I and I think and you brought this up also, Aaron. Just a spirit of inquiry, just asking question after question after question, and trying our best. Um, to, to, I guess, reveal our astound wise insights um, that they may or may not be looking for. Um, I'm curious, Aaron, for families that are listening to this, is there a point where it's, okay, now we need to call Aaron or now we need to call a therapist? Is there a specific time for that? Or is any time the right time to connect with somebody who can listen and give insight and has the tools and the knowledge to really help families through things? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, some kids will ask for it. You know, I remember even, you know, in the early 80s, I asked for it. I wow. just said, I need a therapist. I didn't even really know what I was asking for. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and my parents acted on it. But some kids will ask, some need it and would never ask. And so, and some need to go and will refuse, mm. right? And so you need to be careful with it, but it will never hurt that if you're concerned about your teen and his or her behavior for you yourself to start 
by going even yes. to a therapist yourself. Yes. Just to get or make a phone call, call me, call someone that you really trust and, and value their opinion and their perspective on teen mental health and at least start by describing what you're seeing yes. and getting some insight because the first thing is getting you as the parent in a prepared state to be able to meet them where they are. Right. So you might see alarming behavior, but you yourself aren't in great connection with that teen. Then it's not going to go that well to say, you know, you're going to therapy and I've already set it up and this is non-optional. You know, that's right. not going to go well. Right. But trying to establish some baseline of connection and recognize that if there's injury that you've done emotionally to your, your teen or tween, that there may be a place to even come in humility saying, I think that I've hurt you in the last, mm. you know, couple months yeah. and I'm not sure where it went awry, but I notice you're really shut down from me yeah. and I want to understand what I've done because I really want to apologize. Mm. You know, I don't want more time to go by that we're so disconnected. Right. And if you can't do that in person, then write it in a letter. I write my son letters all the time and, wow. and I'm a therapist. Yeah. I should have all the right words, but there are times <laughs> where I know that it's just too raw. It's too vulnerable. He can't. Uh, you know, face-to-face -face is hard for teenagers, Absolutely. especially about delicate items or things that make them very defensive. Right. And so if you write it down and you say, hey, I'm just putting this out there, no pressure to respond immediately, but I wanted to let you know a few things I'm seeing and thinking about, right. you know, and, and my door is always open, but I know sometimes that I say and do things that shut you down. And I'm sorry for that. I'm human, but I love you. Right. And this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm noticing. And you could even say it about a therapist. I'm feeling like you might benefit from talking to someone that might freak you out or make you scared. But if you're open to it, I'll make a few phone calls because you shouldn't have to suffer. And I'd yeah. like to give you someone to talk to that's just for you. Yeah. You know, there are ways to phrase it where it's more a blessing and something that's for the child rather than you need this because yeah. of, you know, your problems. Absolutely. And for our kids that are on campus, I, I guess kind of the same question, but I, I know having walked by your door several times a day, your door is typically open, you're typically around, but if a kid just has even a small question about something, is it okay to stop by? Absolutely. And that's my favorite thing. I love it. And I mean, I just had someone come Right at lunch, who just came in, laid out a relational issue. We, I listened, then we processed it a little bit. I said, do you want a couple suggestions? I made the suggestion that I yeah. think would work. So cute. An hour later, I get a little email that says, oh my gosh, that worked perfectly. Wow. We already mended it and I'm so grateful. Aww. Now I can go on with my day. That's awesome. And so that's what I mean by smooth and soothe. It's not that I'm so great. It's just that that opportunity to go and get something off your chest quickly, right. be heard, strategize a bit, right. and then and then be able to take a risk and enact the strategy and then feel successful. Like, yes. how awesome is that? Right. And so that's what I love that Monta Vista values having. There's so many of us that the kids can bounce things off of, but if they know there's one specific place that is fully private right. and open door policy and quick and helpful, hopefully, you know, yes. then they're inclined to go. And yeah. it's cute because half the time kids that don't know who I am, their friends will bring them. And and I love that. Yes. You know? And so that's, and teachers can send kids, but really more often than not, kids just come or they come with a friend. Right. And I love that. Well, and just going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, and that's you have done a tremendous job of really 
not just demystifying, but taking the taboo out of mental health and going to a therapist and, and so many things like that. And, and I think fair to say, you know, when and if kids have an opportunity to learn these skills early, that it's okay to go talk to somebody, to get insight from somebody, then my goodness, that transfers to the rest of their lives and whether they continue to go to a therapist or whether they've learned the skills and how to process things better on their own. that as a parent, that as an educator are the things that I want the kids that come in and out of my classroom and certainly my own kids to be able to do down the road. That's right. Aaron, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to hang out with us on this episode of The Bridge. I hope that you will come back and hang out with us on a future episode. Thank you so much, Devin. I think you're awesome well, for thank you. bringing just awareness to so many issues, being an excellent communicator, and then just really wanting information for our families, helpful mm. information. And hopefully this was helpful. And I just... Really appreciate you opening. Well, thank that you. Family I stuff. appreciate that. I want to let listeners know there's a couple of resources, a couple of books that I've had um, some tremendous uh, privilege of, of reading and growing um, by reading them. I just want to throw those out there. I'll also put them in the show notes. But one is called Hurt 2.0 by Chap Clark. The other one is Parenting Teens with Love and Logic, and that is by Jim Fay and Foster Klein. And again, I will put those in the show notes for you in case um, you're interested in reading those. That is going to wrap up this episode of The Bridge. That doesn't mean that we're done with this topic, however. We, of course, want to hear from you. How has your family navigated the issues that we've talked about today? Join in the conversation. Let us know. You can email us at thebridge at NBCpodcast.com. Once again, that's thebridge at NBCpodcast.com. It's also a great way to let us know what topics that you would like to have featured on future episodes of The Bridge. One more time, that's thebridge at NBCpodcast.com. As always, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other popular podcast apps where you can check out our complete archive of shows and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to join us here. We'll see you next time on The Bridge. Thanks for listening to The Bridge, a production of Monta Vista Christian School in Watsonville, California. MVC is a private international baccalaureate day and boarding school first established in 1926. To learn more about MVC, please visit us online at mvcs.org.